0: There's different realizations you come to in life that allow you to know that you're getting old, and I don't know where it's come from. But in the last two months, I can't read my phone, and I have to like hold my Bible way back here to read my notes. And someone told me I need, my wife told me bifolk is that what they're called? Hmm, huh, that's depressing. Put the first slide up, please. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I remember now. The Bible says confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another. This is the key to me, that you may be healed. We live in a day and time where we never want to let people know we have struggles. We never want to let people know that we're going through hard times <coughs> or that we're suffering and struggling with maybe hurts or habits or hang-ups. We want everyone to think we have it all together. And the problem is, When we keep all that locked inside, there's no way to get healing for what it is that is controlling us. The Bible says we have to confess to one another. The Bible says we have to be honest with one another. I, I think one of the key messages of Christianity, which is not happening in the church today, but happens throughout all the Bible, is God just doesn't do fake very well. He wants realness. And the way you become real to people is you let them know, man, I'm struggling with this. So when we know someone's struggling with something, we can come alongside them and walk with them through that struggle, pray for them, and they can get to the point in their life where they get victory over that. We're in the fourth week. We're in the last week of a series that we're calling pastoral confessions. And for lack of a better word, we've been exposing ourselves. I've been exposing myself to you. Letting you know, hey man, even though I'm your pastor, here's some issues that I struggle with. Here's some things that are stumbling blocks for me. Here's some things that in my walk with God I don't always completely understand or I don't necessarily excel at these certain things. And my logic is that if I struggle with these things, I feel pretty confident that I'm not alone in my struggles. So as I've been sharing these with you, we've talked about different things. Like I, I told you the first week, ahead, I struggle with prayer. Now, that's probably not very encouraging as your pastor, but I'm like, I struggle with praying sometimes. I feel like I pray and my prayers hit the ceiling and they bounce back down. Or even worse than that, you ask me to pray for you, and if I don't pray for you immediately, I just sometimes kind of forget to pray for you. And uh, but it's, you know, I just struggle with prayer. And I talked about the ways I've overcome that. I told you that at times, in the second week I said, I said, I doubt God. I told you there's just times I do not understand why God does what God does. Last week I told you I can't stand most Christians. Real spiritual on my part, I get it. I'm called to lead Christians. I've given my life to teaching Christians and yet I just can't stand most Christians and of course I told you how I've kind of overcome these things and how I've dealt with these things and it seems to be connecting with you and we're in the last week and I, I want to talk to you about one for me that that's probably the toughest to admit which is weird that it's the toughest to admit for me because anybody that knows me at all knows this is true about me. Isn't that weird? The thing that everyone knows about you is the thing. A lot of times, you have the hardest time confessing, admitting. The thing that everyone knows is true about you, and knows knows is a fault in your life. And knows man, if you had to describe Gary in one sentence, it would be this. That's the thing. That's the hard. It's not hard for me to get up and say, man, I struggle with prayer. It's not hard for me to get up and say, man, I doubt God sometimes. I think that's normal, and I see people in the Bible that doubted God. It's not even hard for me to get up because it's kind of my stick and to say, man, I can't stand most Christians. But this one is kind of a struggle for me, and it's this principle. I think it's all about me. Basically what I'm saying is I am Selfish. <laughs> I think the world revolves around me. I think the world revolves around what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. I don't care if it inconveniences you. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you think it's not a good idea. I'm just a selfish individual who struggles so much in life with thinking that everything is about me. Now, I know that's a shocker to you. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let's just stop the sermon for a minute. Are you awake? Because you sound like you are all sleeping. So I'm going to count to three. Let's give an amen, a shout, a hoop, a or something, okay? One, two, three. That, even that sucked. That was like, oh, we're a bunch of white people being forced to shout. So let's try it again. One, two, three. Man, wake up today. It's Sunday. Again, if you were at the ball game, if you were at the concert, you'd be, you'd be awake. Get up, man. We get to worship God today. I think everything is about me. And, and, and I think if we were to be honest, every single one of us struggle with this from time to time. The, the, the problem is, I think so many times as we begin everything in our life, with the wrong question. We begin everything with the wrong starting point. We begin everything in life, especially me, with ourselves. We ask self-centered questions, if you will. What do I want to do? How do I want this to go down? What do I want to do with my life? What are my goals? What are my ambitions? What are my dreams for my future? We, we begin everything thinking about ourselves when clearly as you read the Bible, we're to begin our lives thinking about others. We live in a me-first society, if you will. Matter of fact, if you were to go read popular books, watch movies, go to conferences, most of them will tell you the, the way to happiness, the key to happiness is to think about yourself first. Matter of fact, so many people go to counseling and they're told your whole life, you've spent your life about others and never about you. You need to now focus on your happiness. Until you focus on what you want out of life, you're never going to be happy. But the problem with that theory is this. That's what books are teaching us, and that's what counselors are teaching us, and that's what conferences are teaching us, and that's what preachers are teaching us. But yet we're told over and over and over to think about ourselves, but we live in a day and time where more people are unhappy than ever before. Most people are unfulfilled like never before. Less people have true joy than ever before. Less people feel real purpose for their lives than ever before so we live in a society that tells us to focus on ourselves if we want to be happy we live in a society where we focus on ourselves and what we want out of life yet we're more unhappy than we've ever been i can't help but wonder if the reason for that is is we've kind of bought into this mindset that sounds really good and it makes for great quote graphics for our facebook page And it sounds really peppy when we teach it. But it's so contrary to the word of God. Nowhere in this book do you see life is all about you. Nowhere in this book do you see that life is all about what you want out of life. Matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. Jesus lived a life 150% for others. And not just others that were good to him. Hello. He gave his life for the world. Those who betrayed him and mocked him and those who literally nailed him to the cross, his life was about others. And you know what's sad? is Probably is nowhere this selfish mindset more prevalent, more known, more seen than in the local church. The church is full of selfish people. The church is full. Think, think about when you're looking for a church. We look for a church that is what we want. Never asking what does God want for us, but what do we want? I, I want this type of preacher. I, I, I want this type of music, I want to go to a church that has this type of dress code, I want to go to a church that has this ministry, and this ministry, and this ministry, and I want to go to a church where the kids area, a family I love very recently, they said, man, we'd love to come to your church, but man, we just need a church that has this in the kids ministry, and I asked them, I said, yeah, I get it. I said, have you ever thought about coming to the church where you feel like God has told you you ought to come to? You've told me that. And working in the kids' area to make it be what you're envisioning it to be? But we don't want that. We want somebody to come and serve us instead of us serving others. We look for what we want instead of what God wants. And the problem with a selfish life is this. A selfish life is a lonely life. The Bible says this in Philippians 2, 4. Do not look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now, this is a very key verse to me because it's written in Philippians. You need to understand who wrote this verse. A guy named Paul did. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Paul was probably next to Jesus the greatest leader in all the Bible, and he was definitely the most responsible for spreading the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ throughout the world. But what's interesting in this verse is Paul, in this verse, has been spreading the gospel, he's been preaching Jesus, he's been starting churches, but in this verse, he's in jail. He's in prison, and not only is he in prison, he's in prison awaiting execution, Waiting execution for what? For preaching the gospel. He's doing what God called him to do, and now he's about to lose his life. Don't tell me we have problems. Don't come to me and talk about how hard it is to be a Christian in our society. Paul's literally about to lose his life. He's awaiting death by execution, yet he's reminding the church through a letter to keep others at the forefront of their thoughts. (laughs) He's saying, don't get focused on yourselves, but focus on others. (laughs) If there was ever a great example of an unselfish dude, it has to be Paul. I read this week as I was there, excuse me, a couple of weeks ago when I was putting this sermon together, I read that over 100 times, over 100 times in the New Testament, Paul lists somebody as his friend, somebody is his friend, and he asks for something on their behalf. Hey, so-and-so, pray for them. Hey, so-and-so, they have a need. Hey, this is my friend, so-and-so. They're going through this struggle, can you help them out? Over a hundred times, Paul lists a friend and then lists the need, asking people to meet their need. <laughs> he had every reason to say, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm in prison. Could you help me out? Hey, I I, I, I just need to be selfish for a moment. Oh, how about this? Mm. I've earned the right to focus on me for a little while anybody ever had an example of that it was paul locked away in prison for preaching the gospel of jesus christ about to be executed if anybody had the right to be selfish and no one would have judged him at this moment it was paul he's the most influential man besides jesus in church history he was a leader he was great at what god called him to do it would have been easy for paul to be like hey i'm gonna boss you around for a little bit i've earned the right i'm in prison about to die but he was the opposite even in jail, even waiting execution, Paul was thinking of others. You know what I hate about this confession? Is really selfishness boils down to one thing. Now, this is what I hate about it it boils down to ego. How many of you would say you know someone who's selfish? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, do you know me? So let's try that again. Let me give you an example of selfishness. I hate when God does this. I kid you not, I really couldn't remember what the sermon topic was today. I knew when I saw my notes, it'd click in my head, and I'd be good, and, you know, we'd be good. So I forgot what I was preaching on. I didn't really forget, I wasn't thinking about it. So I get up this morning, and we go on vacation this week, and we were on a cruise, and my wife got sick, and my wife never gets sick and she had a very bad cold and Charlie had a very bad cold and Charlie's a very we've got her very much on a routine and when you're on a cruise there's not a lot of routine so man Charlie the last couple of days has just been the spawn of Satan and because um, she's four she's going to be four this week and he just went strangle her and you know we're not going to you know make this clear on the podcast we've got a court case coming up we're not going to strangle her we thought about strangling her but we didn't that's a big step and I had a big show, so we get off the ship on Friday. And I have a big show yesterday, so I'm gone all day long, literally from the morning to the evening. And we have a big birthday party for Charlie today. And my wife's sick, and so she has to get everything done. And everybody, family of six, has been on a cruise for a week, so like, there was literally like nine loads of laundry and lots of stuff, and I'm not there. And then I'm not even going to be there today for the birthday party because I'm an idiot and don't look at the calendar, and I scheduled a wedding that i got to go do and um, I'm dealing with Bridezilla, and it's just been crazy. And So needless to say, Christine never once has complained. Not once. Now, I'm not going to say Christine never complains. I don't want to put her up on like she's just saying. Let's just be honest, okay? No one's perfect. But in this particular instance, she has not complained once. We get up this morning. Christine normally takes care of everything on Sunday morning because I have convinced her that I have to be in the zone. Good thick on Sunday mornings. Um, she's sick and she's been going all night and blah, blah, and I get up and she's like hey can you just take the dogs out this morning and I'm not even thinking I'm like I can't take the dogs out I gotta get ready for church I gotta get there early I've got the microphone I gotta get to Speedy Speedy's waiting on the microphone and I don't even say anything I jump in the shower and here's the deal my wife's been killing herself and she's sick I probably could have taken three minutes out to take the dogs out but I didn't I get in the car and I go do my thing and Christine calls me he said, I just need to tell you something. And I'm oblivious. I'm like, what? I am, and she ain't going to lie to you, because then I'm going to show you how she's not perfect. All you think she's perfect. She dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> I am blankety-blank angry. I'm like, for what? I have done blah, blah, blah. And now, I'm not saying blah, blah, blah disrespectful. Everything she's blah, blah, blah about is the truth. And I just needed you to take the dogs out where I could lay in the bed for a second. Now here's the deal: was I trying to be an a-hole when I said no? No, didn't think about it. Wasn't trying to be a jerk. Wasn't trying. Selfishness just comes natural sometimes. If you're not working at being unselfish, so this is rare because a lot of times my wife raises hell at me. She's wrong. I have rebuttals to her wrongness. But guys, you know when they're raising hell at you and you know they're just right? And all you can be is like, yeah, I'm sorry. That's fine, I'm angry, I'm I'm so angry at you, I'll see you at church. So me being a good husband who has admitted his faults, I'm on the Bluetooth in my car and it's kind of janky, I guess I said, okay, I love you, look. Two seconds, later, you're going to hang up on me? I'm yelling at you, and I'm upset, and you're hanging up on me? I didn't hang up on you, but, but okay. All that happened because I was selfish this morning. So we've all suffered from selfishness. So let me ask you that again. So now I've told you I'm selfish. Now, how many of you know me? Know me? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. All right, so now how many of you say I know someone who is selfish? Awesome. How many of you, to be honest, say there's times in my life that I'm Selfish? We all battle with selfishness. We all battle sometimes in thinking life is all about us. And here's what I've learned about selfishness. Ego is easy to spot in others, but it's not so easy to spot in ourselves because, again, we think everything's about us. It's not ego. We're justified in our actions. (laughs) But we've got to put a stop to that. We've got to put a clamp on that because I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. There's nothing more contrary to the word of God than selfishness. The Christ follower walk, the walk of Christ, our walk with Jesus, if you're going to be a Christ follower or a Christian or of the way or whatever you want to call it, it is a life 100% of unselfishness. It is a 100 percent a life of living for others. You can't be selfish in walking with Christ the way he wants us to walk with him. But yet we all struggle with selfishness. Doug Knight, are you in here? Doug, will you do me a favor because you're like a ninja? I am convinced that right behind that metal thing, someone accidentally turned the heat on instead of the air on because I'm about to have a heart attack up here. It could be all the alcoholic beverages I drank this last week or the fact that I ate the 24-hour pizza bar 72 times in four days. I don't know what it is, Doug, but I feel like I'm about to die. Are you fanning? And so I just want to make sure that Speedy, who had a big show yesterday and probably came in Tired, didn't turn the heat on him. Is the air on, Doug? Okay, well, it's a liar, and I'm convinced the air is not working now. So give Doug a round of applause. <laughs> Are y'all hot? I would normally say it was just my sexiness, but I'm hot, so I don't, I'm not sexy enough to make myself hot, Jeff. So how do we battle selfishness back to the sermon? We've got to do some things, and we've got to learn some things from Paul because Paul's so intentional in the book of Philippians about making it about others when none of us would have made it about others. He's about to die. The first thing he does is this. You must genuinely love people. <laughs> That's hard. I, I use that word very intentionally. You must genuinely love people. Look what Paul says in Philippians. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now remember, Paul's in jail. You've got to take this in context here. He's writing them a letter. It would have been logical for Paul to send them a letter reminding them of his condition. It would have been logical for Paul to send a letter and say, hey, could you send me a little bit of money? Can you put some money in my books? I don't know if that's how it worked back then. Hey, Could you just send someone to visit me? Can you just pray for me? It would have been logical for Paul to send a letter and make it about him. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, Paul's concerned about them. He's concerned about the church at Philippi. He's so concerned that he sends Timothy. Now, you need to understand, Timothy was kind of like his apprentice. So what would happen is Paul would be in a jail cell. It would be on an outside wall, and Timothy would probably be there with him on the outside of the wall where he could talk to him through the bars, trying to do whatever he could to serve Paul. Timothy was probably a very vital part of Paul's survival at this time. He probably was the only communication that Paul had. He was probably the only fellowship that Paul had. I think it's safe to say that probably Timothy being there for Paul was a moment of encouragement and kept him alive through this tough time. Yet Paul says, hey, I'm going to send Timothy back to you guys. I'm going to send Timothy back to you so he can gather news about what's going on at the church so I can then know what's going on in the church because I care about you so much. I want to know what's going on. You got to remember, there was no Facebook back then. The church couldn't be posting what was going on. There was no telephone back then for Paul to know what's going on, there was no mail service for Paul to know what was going on. But Paul cared so deeply for these people that while he's in jail, waiting execution, he loved them so much. He said, man, I'm about to send Timothy back to you because I want to know what you're going through. I want to know what you're struggling with. I want to know about your victories. I want to know what's happening in your life because I love you. That is unselfish. He had a genuine interest and other people, here's what I've learned as I deal with my own selfishness. I don't know about you, but as I deal with my own selfishness, the more I love people, the less I'm concerned about myself. The more I take time to get involved in people's lives and genuinely care about what they're going through, the less I'm worried about my desires and my wants. When my attention is genuinely focused on loving other people, it's a lot harder for me to be selfish about what I want because I'm invested in what other people want. Some of you knew me in a previous life 10, 11 years ago. The key is there is you knew of me, but you didn't know me. Ten years ago, I was probably, this will be shocking to you because you think I'm selfish today. Ten years ago, I was probably the most selfish, I don't say this even as an exaggeration, probably the most selfish, self-centered person in this city. I pastored the largest church in this town, and it was literally in every sense of the word. My way or the highway. You didn't like what I was doing? You were gone, because here was the problem. I didn't care if I inconvenienced you. I didn't care if I inconvenienced everyone around me. I used to intentionally, I had a staff of 13 people, and I used to intentionally make sure one of the things I would not budge on was we paid their cell phone. Because here's why, if I called you at any time, 24 seven, I didn't care if you were on vacation. You answered your phone or you were fired. I was a real winner. I would meet people that would come into our church. I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but like, this is the truth. I, I never met people who would come into the church and be like, man, I wonder how we can help these people. Man, I wonder what it is they're searching for, why they ended up here. I'd meet them, find out what they were good at, and be like, huh, how can we use them to grow this? Always, it was the first thing that went through my mind. Selfish. Arrogant. (laughs) I I, I pastored a church, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't care about people. People who came through those doors were simply to help me build the empire that I was trying to build. Then I lost everything. And an amazing thing happened when I lost everything. I lost everything, pastored this huge church, and probably... 11 people were there for me when I lost everything. For 18 to almost 24 months, I was out of ministry. And you know why no one was there for me? Because I was never there for them. It's amazing that once I lost everything, they got exposed to what a selfish, arrogant, self-centered person I was. And they wanted nothing to do with that anymore. And I remember telling a man one time, a mentor of mine, I said, man, I said, God won't let me leave this city. I, I said, I want to leave this city, and I want to go somewhere else. This is before social media had blown up. You could actually go somewhere else. And I won't let me leave this city. Boy, Barry, this, that microphone is not like this spot right here on the rug. And um, it's like the jinx spot right there. And um, he said, well, if you love that city, he said, why don't you serve that city? I said, I'm, I'm not pastoring anymore. He said, Who cares? Serve that city. So you know what I did for two years? I was a chaplain at Northside Hospital. I was a chaplain at Northside Hospital, and I was a chaplain for the Canton Police Department. Never took a dime. I just served the city. You need something? Call me. I get calls at two o'clock in the morning to go knock on someone's door and tell them, Man, so and so has passed away. So and so's done this. Or I'd be at the hospital and do whatever. You know what happened during that time? I grew with this amazing love for people. When you're not doing it to build something, you're not doing it for a paycheck, and you're doing it because you truly feel called to something, it's amazing how serving other people, what should have been some of the darkest days of my life, ministry-wise, was some of the most fulfilling days of my life because I loved other people. The Bible says this in Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's just be real honest. All of us love ourselves a whole lot. I'm kind of fond of me. I'm my biggest fan. And the Bible says I'm to love other people like I love myself. As I read the Bible, I begin, I, I begin to pray for God to show me how to love people, how to build that truck. So then God moved me into an apartment complex. So I moved into this apartment complex. The apartment complex is right over here behind Hardy's. Let me tell you a little story about that apartment complex. That was originally supposed to be a senior citizen, or like, what do you call it, where they're they're, they're functioning, but they assisted living. So the first floor was nothing but old people. Then they went bankrupt, and it became normal apartments. I was the first person to move into this, so everybody was on the first floor. They moved me up to the fourth floor. The day after I signed my lease and moved in, a lawsuit came against the bank because it wasn't meant to be a regular apartment complex. So for eight months, I lived on the fourth floor, had the entire fourth floor to myself, Gary's party pad, even though I had no one to party with, and all these senior citizens on the bottom floor. I was like the boy toy. Like, believe it or not, Doug, you would have been impressed. Like, I couldn't do anything fancy, but like, they'd call me if they needed a light bulb changed, and they'd call me if they needed the uh, the groceries carried in, and I ate good during those eight months, because them old people made sure I got fed, and I made sure they were taken care of. I like old—I did, I didn't like old people then. Now I do, and that's why I love Doug so much. But I learned to serve others. I think I was like 34 at the time, and they were all, you should meet my granddaughter. Oh, really? Uh, who, she's 18, like I don't need to meet your granddaughter. Like They could never click in the head, because I was so young looking, you know. I'm like, no, they're always trying to set me up, you know. I'm like, no, I'm good, just feed me. Just feed me. And I served other people. And God just put me in places. Man, I love those old codgers. It was awesome. It's so much a fulfilling a time there. <laughs> it's one of the main reasons, learning to love people, genuinely love people, is why Action Church is in this part of town. I'm going to be real honest with some of you. Some of you need Action Church in this part of town. Because it reminds you that we're to love others. Others that you normally wouldn't look at and give a second look to. Others that you would normally turn your nose up to. Others that you would judge. Others that you would look down upon. But you can't be in this part of town and not be around people that maybe make you uncomfortable or you think don't have it all together. Someone asked me one time, saying, when can we be a normal church? I said, I don't know what a normal church is. When can we reach normal people? I said, I don't know what normal people are. What do you mean? People, they, they gave me this classification. I said, oh, you mean all the people that had the same struggle as all these people had? They just hide it better. You can't be part of this church and not begin to slowly love other people. And those that can't make that adjustment are normally you see them go away because they can't last around here. Huh. You can't be part of this church and serve people and not realize it's not about you, it's about others. Lou Gehrig, I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories ever. Lou Gehrig was the first baseman of the New York Yankees. He died on June 2nd, 1941, of ALS, what's now referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease. The doctors did not know how to treat Lou Gehrig's disease at that time. So he was in a hospital for a long time as they experimented with different things, trying to find something that would work for this legend. Just before Lou Gehrig died, he called his friend Bob and said, Bob, I've got great news. I love this story. It's such a great story. He said, the boys in the lab have come up with a new serum and they're trying it out on 10 of us. It seems to be working well on nine out of the 10. And Bob, his friend, responded, but is it working on you, Lou? And Lou answered, well, no, it's not working on me. But nine out of 10, how do you like them odds? He he was so excited that it was working on the nine other people. What an awesome story. He genuinely loved other people. By loving other people, he didn't focus on the fact that he was the one out of 10 it wasn't working on. This church is a training ground for loving other people. When you get here, you should make it a point every Sunday to find someone you don't know and introduce yourself. It's easy to show up to this place and hang out with your friends, and I love that you have friends in this church, but it's not about you and your friends on Sunday morning. It's about those who are coming through the door for the first time, and they're nervous, because they've heard about the church in the ghetto. And they pull in the parking lot and they don't even know where to go because we're too poor to get the sign moved in front where it should be. It's like, man, do I go there? Or do I go here? Where Where do I go? And they start getting nervous. And they're like, oh, it, I, I go through those doors. And and then they get to the doors and they don't even know how to open the doors because, you know, you would think you pull the doors, but you don't. So they feel awkward, especially if there's no one there, especially if Rick's not there, to slide it open. They pull the door and it's obvious that you just broke the door. You open the fire escape and they freak all out and they come in and it's loud music and it's kind of a dump and, and and then like nobody talks to them because we're too busy hanging out with our buddies making it about us <laughs> man but the more i love others the more i forget about my own problems when i think i'm having trouble or i'm going through hard times i need to look around and realize man how many people in my life are going through so many other hard times look what isaiah says in isaiah 58 10 and 12 if i can read it it says, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then, you are light, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs, and the sun scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. He says, he goes, you want to live a blessed life? You want to live a life of never having a need? You want to live a life of fulfillment? You want to live a life of purpose? Then listen, spend your days on behalf of the hungry and satisfying the needs of the oppressed. It's hard to be selfish when you genuinely love other people. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to learn to encourage others. We're going to learn to encourage others. Look what Paul does. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Here's Paul in prison, about to die, for his fate, and he's bragging on Timothy. I'm about to send Timothy to you. Man, there's nobody like this kid. Man, he loves God. He loves you. He's going to serve out your own interests. He says, I don't know anybody else like Timothy. Uh, In fact, the New American Standard Version Mm -hmm. translates that verse to say this, I have no one else of kindred spirit The two Greek words here used that are worth, they mean same soul. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you, man, we're the same soul. Timothy and I, we're we're kindred spirits, we're like-minded. He's saying, hey, most everybody else looks out for their own interest. But Timothy's not like everybody else. He's special. (coughs) He's interested in you. Wow. Paul's just building this person up, encouraging. I love how he built him up. He could have made it about himself. He could have chose to brag on himself. I'm gonna send Timothy to you because I just got it like that. I'm selfless, you know. We'll send Timothy to you. I need him here, but I'm gonna send Timothy to you. And I said he says I'm sending Timothy to you because there's nobody like him. He encourages Timothy. Bible says in First Thessalonians 5, it says, Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as the fact you were doing. <laughs> I used to be that guy that thought people didn't need to hear good things. I don't need to tell you you did a good job. I pay you to do a good job. That used to be my, ma- that used to be my thing. If I got to tell you you did a good job, for what? For what I paid you to do? You volunteered the kids there. You need to hear you did a good job. That's what you volunteered to do. Do a good job. That was a real winner. <laughs> we live in a day and time where no one encourages anymore. <laughs> There's power in encouragement. There's power in it. We live in a day and time where people, like even when someone, like it always kills me like someone will come to us and be like, man, I just got diagnosed, with you know, someone gets diagnosed with cancer, for example. You know the first thing normally out of people's mouth? What kind of cancer? Ah, oh, such and such cancer, Oh. You had an aunt who died of that kind of cancer. Well, thank you, Mr. Encouragement. Wow. Man, I know somebody's struggling with addiction. What kind of addiction? Oh, yeah. Man, I know so many people have overdosed and died over that addiction. Wow, thank you. Man, going through a lot of financial problems. Well, well, why? Well, maybe if you didn't do this, this, and this, and this, you wouldn't be in that... Fin- that might be true. But what would happen if we just started encouraging people, what would happen if we just started building people up? <laughs> I remember, it's funny, I, I, I was talking to somebody today, I, I don't know how, y'all so said we we're talking about CrossFit, and I talked about how I did CrossFit for three years, and um, I was horrible at it for three years, and I quit CrossFit because my wife joined CrossFit for two weeks, two weeks, three years, two weeks. After two weeks, they asked her to enter a competition. They never asked me to enter a competition in three years. Three years. Almost over a 1,000 days. 1,000 days. 14 days. She entered the competition and came in second place. I walked in the next day and I quit CrossFit because I'm not going to have my wife be better at something physical than me. But I remember one time being at CrossFit and I was ready to quit before my wife deflated me and destroyed my ego. And I was struggling. Matter of fact, who was I talking to? I was talking, talking to you about, um, she's related to Shane and Shannon. And we were talking about Shane's dad. And I can't even remember his name now. This old man. And um, old people again. My whole life's not old people. And I was struggling. And this old man, probably 70 years old, came to me and said, Man, you're doing so good, you can do it. And at first, I was like, I was freaking getting encouraged by a 70 year old man. This is pitiful. And then, as soon as that thought left, I thought, man, just encourage me. I can't do this. And I remember I killed that workout that day just simply because someone stopped what they were doing, came along, and encouraged me. There's power in building someone up. And when you're building other people up, it's real hard to be focused on your own needs. When was the last time you just told somebody, man, you're doing a good job? I'm proud of you. When you riding their ass outweighs you encouraging. And sorry, I'm not trying to cuss. There's no other way to say that phrase. I told you I wasn't cussing anymore. Ass is in the King James Version of the Bible, so it's not a cuss word. Maybe not in that context. It was talking about a donkey, but nevertheless, still there when you ride them more than you encourage them, even if they need to be ridden, man, all you're doing is destroying them. Build them up. Paul built these people up. He poured truth into them. I'm not saying that you don't need to say the hard truths that need to be said when they need to be said, but try encouraging people. Encourage your kids. Encourage your coworker. Encourage your spouse. I try to make it a point every day to encourage somebody and build them up and say, man, you do it. You can go after it. Do this. Because when I do that, it puts the focus on others instead of me. The last thing, and I'm done. Put the needs of others before your own needs. Put the needs of others before your needs. Philippians. But I think it's necessary to send back a paparitis. I'm not going to try to say that word over and over, a paparitis, we're going to call him EPAP. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epap, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. Because that's what we'd call him nowadays. Who is also your messenger. Don't miss this. Who you sent to take care of my needs. So the church sent Epap to take care of the needs of Paul. Don't miss this. They knew Paul was in prison. Paul was in jail. And they sent Epapuritus to take care of Paul. And Paul now says, I'm sending him back to you. Why, verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. He, he, he stressed out that the church in Philippi heard that he was ill. It was affecting him. He didn't want the church at Philippi, a didn't want the church worrying about him. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not only him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. He said, God spared me the sorrow of losing this man he healed him. Wow, Paul's amazing. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. He said, I know you sent him here to me, but he longs to be with y'all. And yes, he's serving me, but he'd be more happy back home with you guys, and I'm sending him home to you guys. Man, Paul was a pimp. God, he was so amazing. He says, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the life. he ma- I can't read any of this. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. He said, you guys knew you couldn't help me, so you sent him. He got sick. He almost died serving me. He longs to be with you. He longs to be with his family. Could I use him? Could he meet my needs yet? He goes, but I want to meet his needs. I want to send him back home. Man, how unselfish is that? How amazing is that? Paul, who everything could have been about him, continually made it about other people. It's amazing how he is. When was the last time you helped meet somebody else's needs before you met your own needs? When was the last time you saw somebody going through a hard time and even though you're going through a hard time, you stopped in the middle of your hard time, you quit thinking, because you know what? We can be selfish even in our own hard times. When was the last time... You quit thinking about all the BS that is going on in your life, and trust me, I get some BS going on in your lives. I get it. But in the middle of your BS, you stop for a second and you thought about the BS and the struggle of everyone else going on. I always get a kick out of people and they're like, I was going, do this, I messaged you, you didn't message me back, or, or, or this. Or, or, or. Or they they post their subliminal BS. You find out who your friends are when you go through a hard time and who's there for you. Or maybe just because you were going through a hard time didn't mean your friends were also going through a hard time. And I'm sorry you were dealing with your BS. But maybe if you stopped and quit worrying about your BS for a moment and worried about your other people in your life's BS, you wouldn't get your feelings hurt if they didn't reach out to you nonstop because at the end of the day, you weren't reaching out to them because you were worried about your own BS, you freaking hypocrite. Oh, sorry, did I rabbit trail there for a moment? Nobody reached out to me. I get it. And I wish they would have reached out to you. And you know how they could have reached out to you? If we'd all been thinking about others' needs instead of our own needs. Really, what happened is we we're all being selfish because you weren't reaching out to them about their needs because we're all selfish at times. And the way we become unselfish is sometimes we stop in the middle of our needs, we step away from our chaos, and maybe just do an inventory check about what's so and so going through? I ought to reach out to him about that. What's so and so going through? Man, I need to reach out to him about that. What's so and so going through? I need to follow up with that. You know what's going to happen as you start reaching out to their needs? Suddenly your attention's not going to be on your needs. But no one's reaching out to me. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. We don't reach out to others because they reach out to us. We do what's right regardless of what they do. There's power in stopping. And I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I'm just saying sometimes if we focused on others, it'd help us a whole lot more. Hey, I'm Gary Lamb, and I think it's all about me sometimes. But when I genuinely love others, when I begin to encourage others, when I put others' needs before my own needs, slowly that hard shell of selfishness starts to break, and the unselfishness comes in. Life is about others. Others life is not about you and when you realize that it will change your life or we love-